It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. You're tuned into Christian Questions. Join the conversation now on air or online at ChristianQuestions.com and download our app by searching for Christian Questions Radio. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Marcus Tullius Cicero once said, Nothing is so unbelievable that oratory cannot make it acceptable. Good morning, I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. I'm Jonathan, and that different perspective has its basis in three things. Godly principles, family values, honest dialogue, always done in a politically free zone. Folks, thanks for joining us today. This is a call-in format. We just so happen to be caller-friendly. So let's get started. And Jonathan, what is it for today? Oh, this is going to be something. Oh, my. (laughs) Our question this morning is, so when does the rapture happen? And our theme text is found in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 17. Then we, who are alive and remain, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so, we shall always be with the Lord. So, it's about the rapture. It's one of those biblical teachings promoted by some that draws all kinds of attention. It is dramatic. People, millions of people, all just vanishing at the same moment. It is sobering. What is left behind is a world that rapidly sinks into chaos and destruction. And it's scary. God's judgment pronounced in an instant. And you are either in or you're out. The question is, is it true? Is this a real and legitimate teaching of scripture that we should truly heed? Or is it a fabrication of the minds of men based on a misrepresentation of scripture? So, which... Is it? Well, let's find out. Let's try and go through this and figure out uh, how it all uh, comes together. And Jonathan, before we get started with this, I just want to mention that um, the reason we're doing this topic at this point is um, got an email from a listener a little, I don't know, maybe a few months ago. And she she had, you know, this long list of questions. And among them was this, the question on, on the rapture. And I've since emailed back and forth with that particular listener. And, you know, we, we sort of come to, to understanding of one another, but her bringing it up reminded me that, you know, this is a subject that is out there that we just don't usually talk about so much. And the movies just love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they really, really, really do. Because, look, there's there's an incredible amount of drama oh, there is. In, this, in this particular teaching. I mean, when you think about what it is and what it looks like, uh, you, you have... The, you, you can't make this stuff up kind of a thing, okay? <laughs> so is it made up or is it legitimate scriptural teaching? And when you think about it, the, the theme scripture, well, let, let's go through um, that, that whole scripture. And we want to determine if the rapture is an authentic biblical teaching. To be able to do that, it would be important to understand the context of its revealing. And you know me. Of course, that's your favorite word. That's right. So whenever there's a question on scripture, the first thing that that my first gut reaction is to say is to say okay what's the context of the teaching how do we get it from what's around it because generally speaking when when something is taught especially in the new testament there's sort of a a a a building up 
of the thought from one piece to the next piece to the next piece to the next piece. Well, we have to remember the New Testament. These were letters. These weren't really divided up in chapters, were they? Right, right. So that's another thing that will come into play as we go through this a little bit. But let's take a look in this segment, Jonathan, at several scriptures that would lend to this belief in the rapture as being a true thing. Okay, again, let's. You read as the the theme scripture for the the uh, the program, First Thessalonians four seventeen. But let's read First Thessalonians Thessalonians four fifteen through seventeen, because this is really the absolute key foundational scripture for the teaching of rapture. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, and the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. So when you read that scripture in its entirety, those those three verses, and you see the description, you say, wow, that's a scary thing. Yeah. That's a dramatic thing. Absolutely. So the dead in Christ rise up at this, this, this moment, and then those who remain, it says, will be caught up together with them in the clouds. Now, what does that mean? So, to, to sort of get a picture of what that means from, from the movie perspective, let's go to the uh, remake of, of the Left Behind movie from 2014. This was the movie with Nicolas Cage, and this is from one of the movie trailers. Okay, so this is just a little bit of the, the scene of chaos, if you will, uh, at the point of rapture in the movie. Let's listen. Welcome aboard PanCon Flight 257 to London. Flight time today will be six hours and 30 minutes. I love you. People from all over this plane have simply vanished. Chris, let me in! Chris! want answers and believe me so do i and i'll do my best to get them i heard some doctors talking it's not just here it's all over the world one of these days the sky's gonna break chloe are you okay yeah mom and Ramy, they're both gone so you get a sense obviously this is only radio so you can't see the, the the pictures of all of the chaos and the cars crashing the planes crashing and and hospitals where where all the the babies are gone and that's what she said it's not just here it's all over the world that was referring to 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 hospitals so this is incredible amount of unrest and chaos and and surprise at at this this moment all of a sudden like what happened what could possibly have happened and there are many christians that say well here's it in, in such a situation here's what happened turn to first thessalonians chapter 4 verses 15 to 17 why are you surprised okay so the question is is that really what those verses are saying or are they teaching us something different well rick the question that comes to mind are there other supporting scriptures that give us something similar that we can look at and say, aha, right. there's something here. And that's an important question, and the answer is yes, there are. 
there are other scriptures that that can be, be looked at as supporting this particular teaching. Uh, so before we go to the to the specific context of First Thessalonians chapter four, let's take a look at some of the other scriptures that are commonly brought up to verify that particular teaching. Folks, if you have a thought on the rapture, do you believe it is a scriptural concept or do you believe it is something that is not in scriptures and is, is a misrepresentation? We'd love to hear from you at 866-985-4255, toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central and that means we're on right now. Wherever you are on the planet, listen to our program and interact with us on your Christian Questions app. Download now in your Google or App Store, Christian Questions Radio. And we just got a greeting from the app from Croatia. They are regular listeners. Wonderful. On, I don't know what time it is in Croatia, <laughs> but they're regular listeners on Sunday mornings. So good morning to you all as well. All right, so let's go through some of those other scriptures, Jonathan. We're not going to try and expand on it all right now. The first segment really here is, is here to say, okay, yeah, there's a basis for this belief. But the question has to be, is that belief what the scriptures really mean? And if it is, how do, that, how do these bases all fit together? And if it's not, why don't these things fit together? That, that's what we're going to spend our, our program looking at. So first scripture is what? First Corinthians fifteen fifty one and 52. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. But we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. So you read that, especially having just read the First Thessalonians 4 scripture, and it sounds pretty instantaneous and clearly includes those who have previously died and those who are alive in Christ. Sounds very similar. It, 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 we will be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. And when you think about that, that's pretty fast. Oh, yeah. Blink. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Blink, and it's all different. And, and that's what the movies represent. Blink, and it's all different. So this gives you a sense that, okay, yeah, you can, you can see that there's some backup from this. And, and this is another writing of the Apostle Paul. So he wrote the letter to the Thessalonians. He wrote the letters to the Corinthians. And he's telling them both about this something very, very mysterious is happening. What about Jesus? What about the words of Jesus? Let's go to Jesus' great prophecy of his own return uh, in Matthew 24, verses 38 to 42. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and knew not until the flood came, and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Okay, so right at that point, you're looking at life as just kind of going along and going along and going along, and then it gives you a sense of, and then something really dramatic happens. Then shall two be in the field, and the one shall be taken, and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken, and the other left. Watch therefore. For ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. So, again, when you look at the teaching of Jesus there, if you look at it with the backdrop of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and 1 Corinthians chapter 15, you say, huh, that sounds like it's all part of the same overall big picture. It's like a blink or a snatching away. Right. Like, Cause like one's taken another right, left. Right. The other one was, you know, will be changed in a moment. And the other is, you know, um, caught up together. Right. And, and, and the thought is caught up, you know, 
in an instant. So you got this theme running through these scriptures. When you put them together, you say, wow, there could be something to this, something very, very, very significant. So, again, it seems to be this snatching away of some and not others. There's this picking and choosing going on mm-hmm. from, the, mm-hmm. from the, 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 the heavenly realm, if you will. And finally, Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. The Old Testament. Ah, oh, interesting. Now, at that time, Dan, uh, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise. And there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time... Your people, everyone who is found written in the book, will be rescued. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. Those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven, and those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So again, there are references to those sleeping in death and some being rescued. There's, so you've got, you've got several references, and it's a little bit different, but it gives you this great time of trouble, this great time of distress. So when you put the First Thessalonians 4 scripture together with the First Corinthians 15, together with Matthew 24, together with Daniel 12, you say, maybe there's something to this. Maybe this is something that is seriously legitimate and needs to be understood and thought about and, and worked through. And, and Jonathan, many, many, many Christians absolutely believe in this. Mm-hmm. Absolutely mm-hmm. positively believe in this. And we are, we are familiar with many predictions that have been made throughout the last 100 years, even 150 years, of the rapture. And all, obviously each one of those predictions has ended up being false. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's right. are they just missing the timing or are they missing the doctrine? Good question. That's really the question that we want to, to get into. And uh, j- just one, one quick little side story before we close this segment. I, I don't know if I ever told you this, but I have relatives who many years ago, 50, 60, 70, 80 years ago, I can't even remember when. Well, I don't remember when, but I was told, believed that the rapture was coming, sold everything that they had, and moved to the Appalachian Mountains Really? Yes. Wow. And lived out the rest of their days there. How about in, that? In great poverty, I might add. So, you know, a lot of people have looked forward to this because they see it in Scripture and they see it coming and it's a dramatic thing and they want to be ready. The question we have to ask ourselves is, is it true? This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject is, so when does the rapture happen? Coming up. So, does the context of the main rapture scripture clearly support the rapture or something else? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. Cause I feel alive. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Our subject for today is, So, when does the rapture happen? We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. Or you could message us on your app. 
And don't forget to sign up for CQ Rewind, the full edition, at ChristianQuestions.com. There's graphics and illustrations. There's bonus material on things we don't have time to cover. It's a Bible study per topic. And for a subject like this, it's kind of an important document because we're really going to get into deeply trying to understand what the scriptures truly teach. Do they teach the concept of the rapture? Or do they not? And if they don't, what do those verses even mean? Rick, this is a very passionate subject for Christians, isn't it? Yeah, one way or the other, it is. It's very, 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 very passionate. So, Jonathan, we we talked about other scriptures that may have to do with the concept of rapture uh, in, in the first segment. So now let's talk about the context of the verses in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. But to start the context, let's go to the last verse of First Thessalonians chapter 4. So that would be First Thessalonians four eighteen. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. What words? Everything that, that's coming forward, right? Right. So we have to go back and see what those words were ah. because whatever those words were, they were there for the sake of comfort. Okay. And that's going to end up being an important part of this, this overall conversation. Before we do that, just can't help but go back to that movie trailer for the Left Behind movie from the, the, the version in the 2014 version uh, with Nicolas Cage. This is more of the chaos ensuing in the movie's interpretation of Rapture. One of these days the mountains fall into Irene knew this was coming. The way it happened. How could she know that? He took them to protect them from the darkest time in the history of this world. The God my mother talked about would never do something like this. We all have a right to know if we're going to die. We're going to die. There's just chaos and, and heartbreak and loss and confusion all and and anarchy builds yes and and the interesting line in that is that you know the god that my mother talked about would never do something like this but yet if you are a believer in the rapture well yeah that is the it's a godly action for what purpose we're going to go through that we're going to we're going to take a look at how it all fits together so let's get to the context of the verses in first thessalonians chapter four that talk about what is interpreted as the rapture. Let's start with the context by going to the last few verses of 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. And remember, Jonathan, you mentioned it in the first segment, but the New Testament books, for the most part, were letters. That's right. So they weren't written in chapters. Right. They were divided into chapters. And so sometimes you have to look you know, over the, the, the limits of a chapter to get a sense of what's being talked about. Good point. So start with 1 Thessalonians three eleven to 13. Now God himself, our Father... And our Lord Jesus Christ directed our way unto you, and the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another, and toward all men, even as we do toward you. To the end, he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the presence or coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Okay, and, and you said the, the, the King James Version does say coming, but the word actually means is the word, the Greek word parousia, I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Mm-hmm. Um, which means presence. Which actually means presence, mm-hmm. at the presence of our Lord Jesus with all the saints. So the previous chapter mentions the return of Jesus as a final destination for their holiness. But those verses before that one line about the return of Jesus are all about... Um, 
making sure that you are really firm in your faith right now, living a very Christ-like life. Right. So that seems to be the theme in those last few verses of 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Now you go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So we're going to look at 1 Thessalonians 4. We're going to go through the verses. There's not that that many of them. And just break them up into, into small categories because the apostle seems like he's building a reasoning and we want to follow it. So in the very beginning of the fourth chapter, he continues to exhort those brothers and sisters to a higher standard of moral living uh, um, toward all others that are around them. First Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 1. Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you shall excel still more. So the idea is, okay, you've already received instructions. Now you've got to do it. You've got to apply yourself fully to living that Christ-like life to living in a way that is honest and has integrity and is is driven by the love of God not just not just human love but the love of God he's saying this is what's so important that you really have to focus on and love your neighbor as yourself love all right so he's finishing up this letter and this is sort of the 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 the, the finale of the letter and he's getting them right back uh, to basics next in uh we're going to jump to verse uh, verse 6 Paul now exhorts them to treat their brothers with highest respect. So in the first five verses, he's really talking about them treating and dealing with the world around them, mm-hmm. the, the people who are not believers, yes. and saying, you've got you've to be a shining, shining Just example. Just like Jesus was. Right, right, exactly. 1 Thessalonians 4, 6. And that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter, because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. So... Now he's saying, okay, you know how you're supposed to deal with those around you who are not believers. With believers, do not defraud your brother. Be, uh, because leave judgment to God. Mm-hmm. Your brother is too important to you to treat in a minimal fashion. So there's a special unity that he's trying to portray. Right. Right. And l- let me let me extend that just for a moment to, to what we're talking about here. Because, look, you said it. This is a very, very passionate subject. Yes. For those on both ends. We haven't really said which side of the issue we fall on yet. We'll get to that. But the point of our approach is to treat all those who claim Christianity with respect. Yes. To treat them with respect that they have studied and that they believe what they believe because it's really important to them and they see it as scriptural. I get that. And even if we're going to disagree, and look, there's going to be lots of you we're going to disagree with no matter which side we're on, the point of the matter is to be respectful in that disagreement, to essentially apply what the Apostle is telling the Thessalonian brother. Amen, brother. All right. So that's, that's one of the things we're going to try to do. Folks, if you have a thought, we're talking about the rapture. Is it a real legitimate scriptural teaching or is it something that doesn't is a misrepresentation of scripture? We'd love to hear your thoughts. 866-985-4255. Toll free. 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central. And that means we're on right now. If you'd like to write us, you can write us at Christian Questions, P.O. Box 1837, New London, Connecticut, 06320. So we've covered through 
First Thessalonians chapter four. We went, we read verse one, we read verse six. If you read through the next several verses, it's really kind of fitting along the lines of treating your brother with the highest respect. Now the apostle tells them to have the highest standards of personal integrity and responsibility with all men. Now this is First Thessalonians four eleven and twelve, and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your hands just as we commanded you so that you will behave properly towards outsiders and not be in any need. And, you know, there's something interesting here, and, and you know I'm also a fanatic about people taking personal responsibility for oh, themselves. Yes, absolutely. And it, it's a wonderful thing when you look into scriptures and, and you see the sense of what Christianity is. Christianity is a, is a very giving sort of way to be. And we're supposed to be charitable and giving of ourselves beyond what others normally would think is, is, is reasonable. Yeah. At the same time, Christianity is also a way of being that says, attend to your own business. Work with your hands. And the apostle says, just as we commanded you. So he's saying, look, just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you can sit back and let others take care of you because you know that's what they, they're, they're willing to do. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying be responsible for yourselves and don't be that person who has the great need. Be the person who can supply the need. That's what Christianity is. It's standing in, 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 a, in, a, high, in, in a high area in terms of our uh, contribution to the society around us. And, and Rick, going back to First uh, Thessalonians 4.18 – Therefore, comfort one another with these words. We're reading the context right. before that. And so far, Rick, we've seen it's all encouragement here. It is. It's really strong encouragement, and it's, it's very broad. Yes, it is. It's about living the highest standard of Christianity amongst the world, amongst the brethren, and to be an example to the world. Yes. So there, there's three different ways that the apostles laid that out for us. So these are part of the words that are encouraging that, that he says you should comfort one another with these words. So here, the apostle Paul begins to unfold another form of higher living, having hope about those of their number who died based on their Christian faith. Now, what we're getting into is the scriptures that begin to look at the, quote, rapture situation. This is in the middle of all of these encouragements to live this high Christian standard. So we're only going to read, because we've read the, the other verses before, we're only going to read First Thessalonians 4, 13 and 14 here right now. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve, as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. So this is an interesting uh, introduction to the scriptures on, on the, the, the doctrinal teaching of, of the rapture, however you, you might look at it. Because he says, look, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who are asleep. Those who have been faithful to Christ. And this is early on in Christianity. Yes. He's speaking. But also you can let time go past that. So as we're reading it, it applies to us too, yeah, right? And, and I think that, that's, an, that's another important point here. And, and I think the books of Thessalonians were written about A.D. late 50s, early 60s. Okay. okay. So you're talking 30 years after the death of Christ. A lot has happened. Sure. Churches have been established. Brothers and sisters have come into the faith and have died. Stephen might have been on Paul's heart here when he wrote this. You've got to wonder about that because Stephen was obviously 
a very, very faithful, faithful Christian who died at the hands of the Apostle Paul before his conversion. That's right. And so he's saying, we don't want you to be wondering. Because think about how new the Christian faith was. There, there were churches being established. You had the gifts of the Spirit. This was a whole brand new thing. And it wasn't, you haven't, hadn't even had a whole generation pass yet. And all of these things are happening, and some are dying because they die, because that's what happens. And, and the apostle is saying, look, we, want, we don't want you to feel for a second the same grief that other people feel when, when, when those w- that we love die. We don't want you to go there, because we believe Jesus died and rose again. Even so, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. So this, these are the first for a reward. Yes. Okay. And he's saying, he's saying, it's all good. Even though you suffer the loss, and it would have been a great, great loss, it's still all good. So all of Paul's encouragement is built around living a Christ-like life, something they already knew. It all has to do with trading up our human reactions for spiritual reactions. See, in this entire chapter, it's about having spiritual reactions to the world around us, to our brethren, and to even death, the death of our brethren, rather than a human reaction. Because a human reaction to death and to loss is grief. Yes. And he's saying, yes, I get that, but there's something bigger here. That's not the end. It is simply a beginning that we don't really understand. Now you have the rapture scriptures. We're not going to read them again. We'll get to them in more depth as, as we go through the program. And then... The encouragement verse and the end of a thought. And this is important. You know, the encouragement verse, therefore comfort one another with these words. That's mm-hmm. the last verse of First Thessalonians um, uh, 4. Okay. That's the end of a thought. Comfort another, one another with these words. So anything he says after that is going to be a different thought. Something, he's, he's changing the subject now. Okay. All right? Makes sense. And that makes sense. So these were all words of comfort and upbuilding. Those scriptures that are interpreted as rapture were to comfort and upbuild those in Christ right then and there. Okay? So here's the thing, Jonathan. Here, here's one of the issues here, and i, I got to get to this kind of quick. If you look at the history of the teaching of the rapture, what you find is the rapture was not taught anywhere until the maybe late 1700s, probably early 1800s. Okay. And there's some conflicting views of how it all got started. I'm not going to go with one or the other. But early 1800s is where the teaching started. So if you look at what we just read as context and the admonition to comfort one another with these words, and yet those words interpreted as rapture were never mentioned for 1800 years after that. Where's the comfort? Good, good question. Where is the point that they would apply? Where's the application of right. this teaching? Right. It doesn't seem to have any application. Now, further along that line, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1-4, through 4, the very next chapter, starts out with an interesting, an interesting uh, teaching here. Now as to the times and the epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you, for you... Yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly, like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day would overtake you like a thief. So in these next verses, the apostle is now doing the doctrinal teaching. 
Because the previous words were all words of encouragement. Comfort, Christ-likeness. It, the previous words were meant to give them something to hope for. They weren't meant to introduce some kind of doctrine. And when he gets to the doctrine of the return of Jesus, he says, look, I don't need to tell you this, but I'm going to tell you anyway. And then he ta- starts talking about it. So the scriptures that are, that are, that are, 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 are focusing on rapture are not in a context of giving prophecy and teaching. But they're in a context of giving encouragement. But the church never used it as encouragement for the next 1,800 years. So something now is beginning to not add up. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject is, so when does the rapture happen? Coming up, with context in hand, what do these rapture scriptures really mean? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Our subject for today is, So When Does the Rapture Happen? We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866 985 4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. Or you can message us on your app. And don't forget to go to our website, ChristianQuestions.com, and interact with us on Facebook. And also, you can tweet us. And, and Jonathan, one of, the, one of the interesting things about looking at the rapture here is that when you look at, you said, with context in hand, we do have the context and that the scriptures that introduce the idea of rapture that's interpreted by many uh, are in the context of not introducing anything new or, or radical in terms of doctrine. They're in the context of giving you something to encourage you right now. And comfort you. Right. And the, the issue that I have with that personally is that scripturally there was no mention of the doctrine of people you know, being removed from their shoes and so forth and so on for 1,800 years. So those words did not comfort the church. They would have been written about as the rest of the scriptures were in terms of living a Christian life and applying yourself to Christ-likeness and self-sacrifice and so forth. So with that context in hand, let's take a, a, a closer look at what the scripture really means. So let's remember, this is an ordering of events for the sake of Christian hope and understanding and is not meant to be a complete prophetic teaching regarding time and events. And I'm talking about First Thessalonians chapter 4. All right. As we look at this text, we need to see how it fits in with other prophetic statements regarding the resurrection process. So let's read those verses one more time, 1 Thessalonians four fifteen through 17. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, and the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we, who are alive and remain, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Okay, so you've got this sense of uh, of those scriptures, and now we want to put it into a greater context. Let's go to uh, a soundbite, though, uh, and this is from uh, a, a uh, YouTube video. Uh, this is what uh, will happen on the day of the rapture, and this is part one. Fred, let's go to soundbite number three. 
Breaking news, we are getting last minute reports from all over the world of thousands of people that have just vanished. I repeat, thousands of people from all over the globe have disappeared. The total number of people who have disappeared has not yet been confirmed, but it is expected to be a lot higher than what was initially reported. According to authorities, the numbers are expected to be in the millions. Many flights have been cancelled because of security fears. According to reports, there have been plane crashes all over the world because some pilots simply disappeared mid-flight. Chaos has also spread to the roads where a great number of traffic accidents have been reported. Hospitals have not been able to cope with the number of patients coming in. Many parents are in complete despair as their children have also disappeared. Rumours are rife that this could be an alien attack and there are those who believe that Jesus raptured these thousands of people. So a dramatization of, of a particular view of what the rapture may you know, look like. So let's go through these verses piece at a time, and we're going to take the rest of the program, Jonathan, to go through them as thoroughly as we can in the time allotted. Paul begins these verses by revealing, according to the grace of God, a specific detail of resurrection that would have been hard to determine before he said this, a specific order of a specific Resurrection. So, first, uh, first Thessalonians four. Let's just focus on verse fifteen. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Okay, so he's saying that, and it's interesting the way he says it. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord. So he. So who told him? <laughs> he, and how? He probably had a vision or or a revelation of some kind because he had several of those. Yes. And he was given an explanation of a little bit more detail than we would have found any place else. Interesting. So he's saying, this is what I have been told. That, and he said that we who are alive and remained, once the Lord comes back, whenever that is, whenever that is, those who sleep in the Lord will be the first ones that he will come for. And we, we would call that the raising of the sleeping saints. Yes. Right, okay. exactly. Okay, so he's giving us a sense that within this, what's called the first resurrection, there is actually an order in, in that, that that you don't find anyplace else in Scripture. Interesting. Okay, the following Scriptures tell us the more general order, and this verse that we just read makes it more specific. So 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty to 24. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death... By a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ will all be made alive, but each in his own order. And, and continue. Christ the firstfruits, and after that those who are Christ at his coming. So what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, death comes by man. Adam. Right. And we also know the resurrection of the dead comes by Jesus. Yes. Because everybody dies in Adam, so in Christ all will be made alive. Same number of people. But each in his own order. Christ, obviously, is already raised. Then he says the first fruits. The first fruits are those who are talked about in the First Thessalonians 4 scripture. Those Christians who fell asleep right. and were waiting for resurrection. And then after, those who are Christ set his coming. So in the context of the first fruits, the apostle in Thessalonians is simply saying, and there's a specific order there too. Wow. He's just adding another detail. So, heavenly bound first, earthly bound second. All are resurrected. John five twenty eight and 29, Jesus' own words, verifies that for us. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in their tombs will hear his voice and will come forth, those who have done good deeds to the resurrection of life, 
those who have committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. So when you look at those words of Jesus, they're, they're relatively simple and straightforward. And he's basically saying that I, Jesus, will trigger this resurrection because I, Jesus, will die for everyone's sins. And he's saying those who come first who did good deeds. Now, does that mean you were just a good person? No, that means you're a follower of Jesus. Right, because when you look at how the scriptures define good, it is in, in a spiritual sense. Yes, it is. Not merely, no, doing good is not a bad thing. <laughs> you know Correct. I mean? Correct. <laughs> but it, it's in a spiritual sense. Those, they will get this resurrection of life. Their judgment is already passed. But the rest of everybody else will be raised to a resurrection of Judgment. Judgment. Okay, now it's interesting The King James Version uses the word damnation there. Yeah. Bad, bad, bad translation. Well, Rick, this reminds me of the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Right. Already. So right. heaven first, then on earth second. So Jesus is explaining that there are two parts to the work that he did. He's saying those who have followed me will rise up. To heaven, and that's what the First Thessalonians scripture says. That's what the First Corinthians fifteen scripture says. They all agree. Mm-hmm. So this is this is all being put in order. The difference is in the First Thessalonians four scripture, it adds a detail that just wasn't existing in any of the other uh, other other parts. Now let, let's go a little bit further. Once you have all the recipients of the ransom raised, then the day of judgment occurs. And it's interesting the way this next particular scripture describes the day of judgment. Because it doesn't sound like the horrible day of judgment that, that so many times we, we hear about. First Peter chapter 2, verse 12. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorifying God in the day of visitation. So it's talking about the, those who slander you as evildoers. There must not be very good People at this point, no, they're worldly, they're earthly, not spiritual. And and the and, and and the apostle Peter is telling us to make sure that it doesn't matter how they treat you. Make sure you treat them in a Christ-like fashion, because what will happen is they will remember that, and they will glorify God in the day of visitation. Wow, and and appreciate those that were examples of Christ-likeness before. So when you build on the idea of the two resurrections, you've got the resurrection of life, those who are faithful, and the resurrection of judgment, and that's where these these individuals in 1 Peter 2.12 fit in. Mm-hmm. They're part of the judged category. They have to go through the process of judgment and trial and learning, but they will be able to glorify God as a result of what you did in a Christ-like fashion here today in your life. Me. So again, we're talking about we're, we're a little we're, we're just putting the context of different resurrections in scriptural order, because any doctrine we want to take and look at in terms of, of of understanding you know prophecy and so forth, we have to take it in the context of the rest of the verses, because otherwise it, it's, it doesn't make sense with the rest of everything, and so we're seeing two clearly different resurrections really 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 being unfolded in scripture. And the interesting thing about the, the, the rapture concept is it doesn't look like there's two different resurrections. It looks like there's just a whole lot of chaos. Mm, okay? Yeah, good point. So here the, the scriptures are telling us something different than that. And then once you get the, the, the two resurrections uh, established and the fact that the second resurrection is that of the, the world and it's given to them 
in a way where they can actually learn to glorify God. Then the great rule of peace and righteousness. First Corinthians, back to First Corinthians 15, uh, now verse 24. Then comes the end, when he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and all power. So the first details of this rapture in question text do clearly fit into the overall context of other scriptural statements and do not fall in line with the traditional rapture teaching. So, Jonathan, as we begin to look at this, what we're seeing is that the traditional rapture teaching, I think, according to scripture, leaves something to be desired in terms of fitting in with the rest. Okay. For, for several reasons. We've got, we've got a whole hour to go on this, and we're going to get into details on what that scripture really means. But let's go, let's go to a rapture panel that was done in 2014 from Lamb and Lion Ministries. And these are individuals who actually do believe uh, in the rapture. I happen to know that all three of you believe in something called the rapture of the church. And so my first question is, how can you believe in something that called the rapture when it is not even mentioned in the Bible. Well, Dave, we use names to define individuals. You know, if my wife was talking to someone about me, she wouldn't say, well, that old guy that I married, five foot ten, 170 pounds, and give a long definition, she'd just say Dennis. And it's just a lot simpler. And so we, we wouldn't have to use the word rapture at all. We could say, well, I'm just so excited about that great First Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. You know, the one where the Lord descends from heaven with a shout and the voice of an archangel and the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first and we who are alive and remain will be caught. You know, that, but it's just a lot well, easier to say rapture. Away. The great snatching yeah, away. Okay. And, you know, I, I always wonder why they don't call it the great snatching away, because that's really what, that is a scriptural term. Mm-hmm. But the question remains, and, and we'll address this in the second hour, is the word rapture really not in the Bible? It's not, but is it really not? Okay. <laughs> All righty All right. then. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll leave that part at that. All right. Uh, now the question becomes more detailed. If there is a rapture, do selected Christians really vanish? Is it all really at the same moment? Is descending with a shout and a trumpet the way Jesus really returns? Do the faithful really float around in the air? All of these things are important questions that we're going to begin to develop uh, in the second hour because there's so much to this subject. And some scriptures can be taken literally and some can be taken symbolically. So which is it? How does it work? Right. And in order to figure that out, you really have to look at context. And, And you have to look at context. You have to look at language. You have to look at intent. You have to look at the other scriptural teachings on a matter to really put it in order. So in the second hour, we're getting deeply into the scriptures that describe the doctrine known as the rapture and trying to understand what the words mean and what we believe the real true teaching is on those. So you've got to stick around for that. If we're not on in your area, go to ChristianQuestions.com, click Listen Live, and stay with us. For Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions... When does the rapture happen? Lots more to talk about. We'll be back after the news and all that. But till then, think about it. It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. You're tuned into Christian Questions. 
Join the conversation now on air or online at ChristianQuestions.com and download our app by searching for Christian Questions Radio. Here's Rick and Jonathan. G.K. Chesterton once said, Do not be so open-minded that your brains fall out. (laughs) Good morning, I'm Rick. Welcome back. This is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. And the topic we're discussing this morning, Jonathan, you mentioned it a couple of times in the first segment and first hour, is a very, very passionate subject. Uh, It's deeply doctrinal and deeply divided in a lot of Christian circles. That's right. And our question this morning is, so when does the rapture happen? And our theme text is found in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 17. Then we... Who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. And as we go through this, the question is, is the doctrine, the doctrinal teaching of rapture the truth, or is it a misrepresentation of Scripture? And what we've done thus far, Jonathan, we've really only scratched the surface. You're right. Uh, there are several other scriptures that you can look at and say, yeah, they seem to support this, this, this teaching. But when we looked at the context, what we saw in the context of the teaching was that the apostle said, you know, use these words to encourage one another. Right. And it was all about building one another up and, and living a Christ-like life. And the fact of the matter is that Christianity did not talk about the rapture, the, 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 the snatching away, the taking up, for 1,800 years. 1,800 years. It, was un, it wasn't until the 1800s that this, this teaching actually surfaced. And it wasn't described as something that was going to be a mystery until its time, like the return of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Remember, you know, Jesus himself said, nobody knows the day or the hour. Right. This wasn't described that way. It was described in the context of... Encourage one another with these words. Be Christ-like. So if the teaching did not exist before the 1800s, it doesn't make sense in the context. So you look at that and say, okay, now you've got to prove that. You've got to prove that by understanding, then what did it mean? If it didn't mean that, That's right. what does it mean? So let's go back to those verses. Let's read them one more time. First Thessalonians four fifteen to 17. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Those are the verses we touched on verse 15 in the last hour. So now we're going to start to pick up with verse 16. Before we do that, though, let's go back again to the, to the trailer for the Left Behind movie. It came out in 2014. Uh, no, this is actually the original Left Behind movie. I'm sorry. This is, this is the original Left Behind movie from several years before. Uh, and this is, this is on, the air, on an airplane where all of a sudden these people have vanished. Mayday, Mayday, this is Pan Con Heavy, 907. Mayday. Ray, what is going on? Concord 2701. That's affirmative, Concord. What's going on? I don't know, but it's everywhere. Say again? Cordia, Morley, lost air traffic controllers, missing flight crews, fighting down all over. Returning back. So there's this drama. Nathan, that's, Nathan, that's part 
of uh, th- this, this 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 interpretation, mm-hmm. this heavy-duty drama, because in an instant, all of these Christians are gone, and whatever they were doing gets left undone. And if you happen to have been flying an airplane, or been a passenger in an airplane, or driving a car, or taking a bath, or whatever it is, you're gone. So there's tremendous drama, but the question is, is that truly scriptural drama or not? That's what we're looking for. That's what we're determining here. If you have a thought, it's 866-985-4255, toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 6 to 8, uh, 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central. That's right, it is. It is that. I, I knew that. <laughs> Out from the dark ages and into the light of today, join us 24-7 at ChristianQuestions.com. Verse 16, First Thessalonians 4, 16. And folks, also, message us uh, on your app if you uh, don't want to call in. We'd certainly love to hear from you that way. Go ahead, Jonathan. First Thessalonians, what was it? 4.16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, and with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Okay, so what does that mean? If, if it's not the literal rapture that, that we've been talking about, then what does that mean? First of all, he will descend from heaven with a shout. What does that mean? That means a cry of incitement. All right. So the question we have to ask ourselves now, and this is a hard question, is, is that a literal shout? Is that a literal, yeah, go get them? Or is it something else? And we do not believe that this is a literal shout. No, we don't. Now, there are those that are going to get very, very hot under the collar over that. and says, but that's what it says. Yes, that's true. That's what it says. And we have to understand that much of Scripture is written and says one thing and means another. When you have parables, that's the the, the situation. Oftentimes in prophecy, picture language, is prophecies are rife with picture language. Yes, they are. And they're there to veil something but to paint a picture. And once you understand the symbolism, then you can get the real true picture. So they're meant to be hard to understand. Why do we say that, well, we're quite sure that this is um, uh, not literal? Well, let's go to Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. You know, and, and the idea, it says, with a shout, with the voice of the archangel. So this, the Lord himself has... It, has the shout, and has the voice of the archangel. Let's read Daniel 12, 1 to 3. Now at that time, Michael... Okay, stop. <laughs> I said to read it, and then I interrupt you. <laughs> Is there anything new here? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Michael literally means, who is like God. Michael was the archangel. Okay, so okay. at that time, Michael... Go ahead. The great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people... Okay. Over the sons of your people, Israel, that's who's being spoken of here in Daniel chapter 12. Will arise. Okay, hang on. on. (laughs) I've got to let you get through this. Will arise. Will stand. Okay? So, let's look at the imagery. The archangel, means who is like God, guarding Israel will stand and... And there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. All right. So this is all during the time of the end. Not some short period of time, but the build up to and the time of trouble all mentioned in Matthew 24. Because it's talking about at that time. So in Daniel chapter 12, you're not looking at an instance. You're looking at a process. Okay, that's important. And when it says in um, 
uh, your in 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 First uh, Thessalonians chapter four, it's talking about a shout, the voice of the archangel. Well, Michael is the archangel, right? Yes. Okay, so you have Michael, and we believe that Michael is representative of Jesus. A picture. Yes. Mm-hmm. So you, that's what you have. You have the this this mighty power of God, who like God protects Israel, and and does these things. And now let's continue in the verse. And at that time, your people, everyone who was found written in the book, will be rescued. Okay, so you have the great time of trouble, you have the rescuing, and all those pieces of First Thessalonians, but they're put in a slightly different context here. Same events, different representation. This is important, because if you're looking at the same events through different eyes, what are we now seeing? Because when you put the two together... Now you're starting to develop what the true matter of Scripture is. So both Daniel and Thessalonians uh, are speaking of the same event. Here's the problem. If we take them literally, all right, Michael arises and descends at the same time. That's confusing. Right, because they're both two different pictures of the same event. They're showing us different aspects of the same thing. So it's got to be symbolic language. To rise up, to stand, would signify asserting authority, and to descend from heaven would signify to come from God. So how do you put the two together? And the answer is really easily. So Jesus asserts his authority as a a representative of God. So when you put the two prophecies together, all of a sudden you're saying, oh, okay, picture language that shows us two different aspects of exactly the same thing. And see, to me, Jonathan, that makes so much more sense. You can't take one scripture, drop in on it, and say, wow, this is it, and then just and then fly out of there. No pun intended in terms of the rapture. Yes. And, but not apply it to other, other scripture texts, because it doesn't make sense to do that. It's not fair. It's not fair to the body of scriptural teaching. So now, again, you've got Jesus... Uh, asserting his authority as a representative of God. So let's continue in Daniel, and now Daniel is going to be focusing on the earthly resurrection. Now, 1 Thessalonians focuses on the heavenly resurrection. Two different aspects of the same general theme of the ending of one age and the beginning of another. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake. These to everlasting life, but others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. See, this is the resurrection of the earthly nature that we talked about in the first hour. So Daniel is verifying the thoughts of resurrection and the stages and so forth, but he's showing it to us from a completely different perspective. Those who have insight... Okay, now those are... Uh, the the individuals who are already raised in the first resurrection, the ones that were talked about in First Thessalonians four. So the cool thing is, when you put the two prophecies together, you you get a much more complete picture. You do, and and you need to put them together to get a much more complete picture. So go ahead. We shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven, and those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Okay, so you can see that. We've got to be looking at symbolic language here because you've got other prophecies that are going to conflict and contradict unless it is symbolic. And it really is, in my mind, to be simple. Well, Rick, let's go to the phones. We have Julius from Connecticut. Good morning, Julius, and welcome to Christian Questions. Hang on, Julius. We can't hear you. Hold on. You have a hot one. Go, thank okay. you. Go ahead. I appreciate you. 
your courage to take such a uh, complex subject. Uh, uh, folks, I have my own soundbite. I want to refer your listeners to uh, Charles Taze Russell's Volume 2, Studies in the Scriptures. It's supplemental to what you're saying. You know, it's, it's a very uh, complex subject. It's Charles Taze Russell, Volume 2, Studies in the Scriptures, page 149. It's a whole chapter there. And then uh, to uh, complement that, I believe that uh, the saints that of the past have arisen uh, since uh, they've been resurrected since 1878, and that they're doing a work described in Psalms 149. Thank you. God bless. Thank you, Joyce. Appreciate your call. So Julius is getting very, very specific, and uh, obviously, you know, if he's talking about the the the, the resurrection of of those who were sleeping in Christ, um, then what he'd be saying is that the others obviously still haven't gone yet. Well, how do you put that together with the First Thessalonians scripture? We'll get to that shortly. But Julius, thanks so much uh, for that. And and yes, there's work to be done. You know, the the idea of resurrection isn't so you'll sit on some cloud. There's play a harp. There's work to be done. <laughs> so so many. Uh, aspects of many related event, events are shown here between Daniel and 1 Thessalonians. This can only mean that these events are taking place over a period of time and not all instantaneously as the rapture idea indicates. This is why the return of Jesus is elsewhere described as the sunrise. And Jonathan, this is a really important question that we have like a minute to make. So, Matthew twenty four twenty seven. For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the su- coming of the Son of Man be. And now you just said lightning. You know, yeah. you read from the King James Version. I did. And But it talks about coming out of the east and shining to the west. How could this be the sun? Doesn't it say lightning? Well, let's look at Luke. Luke's rendering of the same teaching of Jesus to help us understand it. For as the lightning that lighteneth out of the one part under heaven shineth unto the other part under heaven, so shall also the Son of Man be in his day. So the word uh, for lightning can mean glare, lightning, brightness, the gleam of a lamp. The point is that Jesus himself describes his own return as the sunrise. Right. So it says he comes like a thief in the night. You don't know when he's there. And then it gets it's, brighter and it's brighter. gradually revealed, gradually over time. And when you get that understanding of the return of Jesus, then everything by definition doesn't have to be all at one exact moment. Unlike the lightning is a flash. Right. And it really does use the sun, sunshine, the sunrise, as a very clear description of what's happening. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, So When Does the Rapture Happen? Coming up, so what does it mean to be caught up together? Are we all floating? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. Or you could message us on your app. And you can listen live on your smartphone, and you can comment on air. 
So, Jonathan, as we go through these verses, we're going through them one at a time. At the end of the first hour, we mentioned, you know, the, the word rapture is not in the Bible. And I said, yeah, maybe sort of. Okay. I want, I want to just get into yeah. a little bit of what detail on that. Well, let's go back to that rapture panel, again, from Lamb and Lion Ministries. And they make some comments on it, which I think are, are kind of interesting. And some of the things that I just didn't know before. So this is, this is good stuff. They get from First Thessalonians four seventeen. Then we who are still alive will be caught up yes. together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Now, the Greek word for caught up is harpezo. The Latin was rapio, and when we Englishize it, we get rapio turns to rapture. So it is in the Bible. It's right there, First Thessalonians four seventeen. That's right. It is in the Bible. It's in the Latin <clears throat> translation, which is the only Bible the Western world had for about thirteen hundred years. Yes. So it, it comes right out of there. It doesn't have to be in English for it to be a biblical word. Right. And then further. Furthermore, I would point out that even if the word were not in the Bible, it it represents a biblical concept. So the the word, the Latin word rapio is where the word rapture actually comes from. Okay. Now, do we use the Latin as a real authoritative uh, translation to understand scripture? No, we don't. No. But that's where it comes from. When so when we say, well, rapture's not in the Bible, uh, I might give it a little bit of leadway, but just be really careful. How's that? <laughs> Okay, good. <laughs> okay. So, and they just read, and we're going to be talking about verse 17. So let's read that again for First Thessalonians 4. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Several elements here. Caught up together, clouds, air. We're going to focus on the caught up in just a moment. Let's go back to that rapture panel one more time from Lamb and Lion Ministries because they talk about the word caught up and we want to pick up on what they say and then give it uh, a little bit more detail. Nathan talked about the, the Greek word har, harpezo. Uh, actually you find that three times in the New Testament. It, once is the first Thessalonians passage where it talks about us being caught up or snatched. It, it, it's basically meaning a violent grab or a snatch to, to take something for yourself. You also find it where Jesus said, I give my sheep eternal life and they'll never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. It's the mm. same exact word. and They won't rapture. They won't violently take them away from me. And then also with Philip, when uh, he baptized the Ethiopian eunuch, the Bible says when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, snatched him away. So it is essentially Christ snatching the church to himself and exactly what he said he would do. Okay, so they say the, the, the Greek word harpezo means to snatch, and, and I get that. Um, and actually, the, the the strict definition of the word is what? To seize. Okay, to seize, to carry off by force. All right, so there is, they're absolutely on target with that. But they said, you know, it's used three times in the New Testament. Right. No, it's not. It's used many, many, many more times than that. Oh. And I'm, I'm not sure why they avoided the others, but if you subscribe to Seeker Rewind, the full edition, in the bonus material, we list them all out for you. Okay. Okay, and, and how that word is used, because it's understand, uh, important to understand what that word caught up really means. And it does mean to seize or to, to, to carry off by force, to snatch away. The question is... Well, first of all, let, let's, let's look at a couple of other ways it's used, and then we've got to figure out, well, why is there this snatching away? What, what's it there for? A couple of other uses of the word, Matthew thirteen nineteen. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom, and understand it not, then cometh the wicked one, and casteth away. Ca- yeah, casteth away. Catcheth. Thank you. That which was sown in his heart. This is he which receives seed by the wayside. So... 
catcheth away. That's in the King James Version. So in other words, this is a parable. And when the seed is sown in the heart, the, the seed of the gospel, Satan comes and snatches it out. Says, oh, no, you don't. And takes it away quick. That's what it means. Okay. Okay. So take, taken away quick. Not necessarily violent there, but it's a, a, a quick removal. So you almost don't even know what you had. Okay. Like, well, didn't I just have something there in my heart a minute ago? I thought I did, but maybe I guess I, I don't know what happened. I don't know. What, I, maybe I'm just not cut out for this. I don't know. <laughs> Jude one twenty three, And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. The word pulling is, again, the, the same word. So the idea is that they're in danger. Spiritually, there are some in danger. And Jude says that you've got to pull them out of the fire. You got to you got to you got to rescue them from whatever it is that they're 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 going towards. You've got to change where they are. Okay. That's really what it, it's coming down to. Change where they are, or in the Matthew scripture in the parable, change what they have. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's what the word actually really. The word caught up means. Yeah. So is that a problem? I don't think it's a problem. I, so, but here's the question: From what? In every case, in, in both of those examples, as well as in the examples that they used in the soundbite, there's a removal from one place to another. My question would be, what are you snatching them away from and why? There's got to be some reason for that. And again, the Apostle Paul doesn't state this in the context of some big, deep, spiritual, doctrinal unveil, unveiling. Remember, he says, you know, use these words to encourage one another. Mm-hmm. Okay, so he's, it's very matter-of-fact. And he says, in this matter-of-fact way, then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them. With who? With those who were taken from the grave and, and, and brought up to be with Jesus. Caught up together. So, what is precisely meant in our Thessalonians verse by the use of this word? Well, let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, verses 51 and 52. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. So, the fact that we shall not all sleep, but rather be changed, indicates a plucking out, a snatching away of the faithful out of the clutches of death. And, Jonathan, we have to realize how, how dramatic that is. Because the way the scriptures treat those who have, have gone beyond, uh, uh, who, who were faithful. Mm-hmm. And Julia Christ. said that they are raised already with the Lord. Right. The, 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 when, you, when you look at that, they have, the scriptures describe them as asleep in death. Mm-hmm. Now... The picture of sleeping in death, and we've done several programs on this. Um, we did, uh, last year especially, we did some, I think, I don't know if it was a two-part series on this or not, I don't remember. But the idea is that when you're asleep in death, you, you don't know, you know, you don't know, know not anything in the grave whithersoever thou goest. Yep. Yep. Those who no are faithful yep. were sleeping in death until that time. So, essentially, for some who were faithful, Stephen, Great example, the first Christian martyr. 2,000 years of sleeping in death, or almost 2,000 years. And then he is taken out of death. Resurrected. But at the end of the age, at the time of the return of Jesus, those who die in Christ will not sleep in death. 
they are literally snatched out of the hands of death to instantaneously, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, a blink, be with Jesus. So on an individual basis. Yes. And does that also mean an individual time per faithful Christian? And we're going to need to get into that by understanding what the word together means, because it says caught up together. Okay. So we're focusing on the caught up part. We're going to get to the together part uh, in, in another minute here, or another few minutes anyway. But the idea here is to be plucked out of the clutches of death as a holding tank until such time as resurrection occurs. Okay. Not have to go through that. And now, of course, you don't know you're going through that. But the idea is it's a massive privilege to be able to, in an instant, escape death. Escape death. Wow. And to be with Jesus. So, so wow. I think that's what, and, and look, that's something that you can encourage one another with. Mm-hmm. Okay, that at the end, that's what's going to happen. And don't worry, all of us who were sleeping, waiting for resurrection, it's, we're going to be there too. It's like, it's, it, it, this is the, the classic win-win situation. Okay, so let's continue with 1 Corinthians chapter uh, uh, 15. Go to verses 53 to 58. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. So there you have the idea that this change is a massive, massive, massive deal. It's something utterly, this is the dramatics. Mm -hmm. It's the change of nature. And then you have the saying written, death is swallowed up in victory. So let's read how the apostle quotes from the Old Testament and then goes a little further with his explanation. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. So... Oh, death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? In other words, it's gone. Those who had to wait for the resurrection got the resurrection. And then those who afterwards, at the time of the return of Jesus, uh, go and don't even experience the sting of death from the standpoint of it being there for a very, very, very long time. Folks, if you have a thought, it's 866-985-4255, toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central, and that means we're on right now. And if you'd like to email us, you could email us at rick at christianquestions.net. And, and Jonathan, actually, now that you mentioned that, we did get an email in this past week. You know, It goes up on the website, the, the upcoming subject. And there was an individual who emailed in, very much a, a pro-rapture individual, and lining up all of these scriptures and all of this, the, the, this perspective. And we really appreciate that. We appreciate seeing that perspective. And, and, you know, it, one of the phrases he used is, you know, if you're not ready, you're just a pew potato, just like a couch potato. Oh, but just sitting, sitting in a pew. Right. Okay. And, and, you know, again, we appreciate that, that zeal for wanting to be ready and wanting to be onto things. But we just don't believe that the rapture is the way that it's going to be determined whether you're ready or not. That, that, that's the whole difference. And we don't believe the world is going to... All of the cities are going to crumble in a massive worldwide earthquake. We just don't believe that that's what the scriptures teach. And we get to that point by looking at the vast um, breadth of scriptural prophecy and putting it together in the context of Jesus himself from his 
prophecy of Matthew 24 and seeing how all of this fits. So we're looking at the rapture saying, no, it's not the way the drama makes it to be. It's something far more simple, far more subtle, but no less miraculous. See, and that's the thing. It's no less miraculous than all of that because it deals with an amazing change, a change of nature which had not ever happened before. And will never happen again. Right. So it is an incredibly miraculous thing, but it happens in a much quieter way. And from my personal experience, looking at scriptures and looking at how things are understood and interpreted, God generally, for the most part, now occasionally he, goes, he does, doesn't do this, but for the most part deals through that quiet, uh, non-dramatic way, unless, unless you need to part the Red Sea or something like that. <laughs> you know, there are times yeah. when you have the great drama. But when you think about, you know, we did a program just a few weeks ago about the birth of Jesus. Mm-hmm. How undramatic was the birth of Jesus? The, the shepherds got to hear the angels sing. Nobody else did. You know, it was in a, in a, in a stable, for goodness sakes. That is as, as lowly as you get. Why? Because God doesn't need the drama. He doesn't need fanfare? He doesn't. What he needs is to execute his plan flawlessly and on time for the benefit of all the world and mankind. That's what it comes down to. So when we look at caught up, yes, we agree. It does mean to snatch. Snatch away from what? Death. In a moment. And it is miraculous. Not as theatrical, but no less miraculous. So what about the word together? Caught up together. Does the word together mean simultaneously? Or does it mean in association with? Now, those who believe in the rapture believe this is all simultaneous. An instant. Right. Okay. So what does the word mean? It means properly at the same time. Okay. It does mean at the same time. And also, Rick, it means but freely used as a preposition or adverb denoting close association. So it can mean both. It can. But its actual meaning is at the same time. So if the, that's the case where the actual meaning of the word is at the same time, and we're saying all this stuff happens as a process, then aren't we contradicting the meaning of the word? That's a good question. And the answer is forthcoming. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject is, so when does the rapture happen? Coming up, so how do we figure out which way to interpret the word together? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Our subject is, so when does the rapture return? We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. Or you can message us on your app. And we want to hear what you have to say about today's topic. Post your comments on our Facebook page. Go to ChristianQuestions.com. So, Jonathan, uh, we are going to be looking into this word together, which does literally mean, you know, at the same time, but it can mean also an association with, well, so which is it? Before we get to it, though, let's go to one more soundbite. This is from YouTube. 
from those who are being diligent, who believe in the rapture, saying, look, you got to be serious, you got to be prepared, because most people aren't going to be ready for this. Let's listen. Many churches are not getting their congregations ready for the rapture. The topics of the rapture, end times, and the tribulation were seldom covered in their sermons, and many of the church members knew very little about the subject. For this reason, there will be great anger against pastors and church leaders by the Christians who are left behind. They will be blamed for not getting their members ready. And in the churches, it was very fun and entertaining. And many Christians were celebrating while they should have been repenting. The preaching just did not lead them to sorrowful repentance. So there's this 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 sense of admonition. If you're not ready, you're going to be really really sorry. Now here here's the thing, and again, obviously a personal perspective on this, but we don't believe in the rapture at all, but we believe in the readiness. We believe in being totally faithful as a Christian. We believe in living a life of sacrifice. We believe in giving up the things that you want for the things that Christ would want for you and through you. All the admonitions that Paul showed us of being Christ-like, right. loving your neighbor, loving the brethren. And the difference is they're doing it using the rapture as a, as a, as a point of fear. True Christianity should not be built on fear of something happening but it should be built on the desire to love and serve God. Be Christ-like. Big, big difference. So, verse 17, 1 Thessalonians 4, 17. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. All right, Jonathan, I'm going to give you the answer before we give the, the, the proof, if you will. Okay, go ahead. The word together in this verse does not in any way, shape, or form mean simultaneously. It doesn't. Even though that's the definition of the word, the primary definition, it can be used as an association, but I, I emphatically believe that it means in association with, not at the same moment. Okay. How, how do you know that? Okay. Context. <laughs> that's how we know it. <laughs> that's how we figure out so much stuff. The first proof on this is every single time the Apostle Paul uses that particular word, without exception, he uses it in the same way, meaning in association with. We're not going to go through all of the uses, just we're going to touch on three of them. Romans 3.12, they are all gone out of the way. They are together before become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. They are together. They are associated. Yeah, as a group. At the same place. Right. They're, they're, they are of the same mind. Ah. Okay, that's what it is. They are of the same mind, unprofitable. It's not a moment. It's a condition. That's the difference. Colossians 4.3. With all... Okay, the word with all is the word in, in question. With all praying also for us that God would open up us a door of utterance to speak the mysteries of Christ which I am also in bonds. So with all, it's not saying pray in the same instant. It's saying pray under the same conditions. Pray in association with one another. Come together and create this, this, this process of prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5.10 is the next one. And this, Jonathan, is really important because 1 Thessalonians 5.10 is only a few, is like 11 verses later. 
Okay, in the same letter, Paul uses the exact same word. Who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we shall live together with him. We should live in association with him. So, you see, it is not this moment of everything happening simultaneously. Rick, this concept of momentary is killed by the context here in Thessalonians. And... It's, and, and it's also, by the way, the apostle himself uses that word every single time he uses it. It's always the same. So that's the first proof, is the apostle Paul's use of the word. The second proof is the last phrase of the verse clearly lends itself toward the association type of denif- uh, definition. Because what's, what's the last phrase of verse 17? And so we shall always be with the Lord. So you're getting a sense of, okay, we will always be with him. This is... Eternity, isn't yes, it? Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, the other thing that's important is it talks about meeting them in the clouds in the air. Mm-hmm. But we all know that the, the true church doesn't stay in those conditions, but they go in, into, into heaven eventually. Yes. So, you know, so shall we always be with the Lord together in association with the body of Christ will be united to never be broken apart again. It's giving you a sense of not, not a moment but uh, an expression of, 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 a, of a time together. And completeness. Yes. So, caught up together. We can see through scriptural reasoning that this phrase really means that those who are still alive, when the dead in Christ are raised, will have the unique privilege of not having to sleep in death to wait for their spiritual life. That's what the scriptures say. The verse is saying that each member of these end-of-the-age faithful ones completes their walk with Jesus... When they do that, they will join those who have gone on before them, not simultaneously, but as each is ready. Where do they join them? Okay? So it's not this momentary thing. It's that once Jesus returns, it's still a one here, one there, one here, one there, until, it's, until the work is all done. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay? It doesn't Makes have sense. to be in the same moment. The scripture doesn't, simply doesn't say that. So now, where are they caught up? It says they're caught up in the clouds. Now, does that mean that there's cumulus clouds up there, and then in that cloud... Is where they live. <laughs> is where they, they're, they're, they're staying for now? Uh, I don't know. Uh, well, well, the answer is no. <laughs> doesn't make sense. The answer is no, because, again, you're dealing with symbolic language, and if you're going to be looking at a scripture that has so many symbols in it, you can't take something and make it literal in the middle of all the symbolism. It just doesn't So what does clouds mean symbolically? Well, let's take a look at Zephaniah chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Near is the great day of the Lord, near and coming very quickly. Listen, the day of the Lord, in it the warrior cries out bitterly. A day of wrath is that day, a day of trouble and distress, a day of destruction and desolation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. So clouds and thick darkness are used as descriptions for this day of trouble. And when you look at scriptures and you look at prophecy, one of the things we see that is a, a shining example is clouds represent trouble. So when it says that Jesus returns in the clouds, he's ta- it's talking about Jesus returning in the context of great trouble. In the time of trouble. Because that's when Jesus said it would happen. And so instead of trying to create, again, instead of trying to create the, the Hollywood imagery of all of this at a moment, what we need to do is step back and let the scriptures define for us 
what all of these pieces mean by putting them together one at a time. And we see that the return of Jesus, Jesus himself described it as, first of all, as a thief in the night. You don't know the thief, the thief is there. And the interesting thing about a thief in the night is not that a thief in the night is coming, but when a thief in the night, the, the whole point of the illustration is the thief is already there, but it's, you just don't know it. And then he describes his, his return as a sunrise, where the revealing of that, and we've done... It becomes brighter and brighter. I think last year, I think it was in January, we did a two-part program on the return of Jesus and thoroughly went through scriptures that showed us that there are actual stages to the return of Jesus. There are different stages. And in the very first stage of the return of Jesus, it's quiet. It's secretive. Nobody really knows except those who really, really, really look. And one of the classic signs of that is the reestablishment of Israel as a nation. And that was in 1948. Jesus himself said that. When you see this happen, you know that I'm here. I'm here. So you've got to really see it for what it is. Um, Jonathan, we've got a few minutes left. We, we, we talked about, in the very first segment, we listed several scriptures that uh, we said you know, could have association with the, the idea of rapture. There was one scripture we did not talk about I want to bring that up here because, to be fair, let's you know put it on the table. So, uh, a, a final quick word on the verse that we mentioned earlier, but didn't comment on. That's Matthew twenty-four verses forty to forty-two. Then two will be in the field; one will be taken, and one will be left. Two women will be grinding meal together; one will be taken, and one will be left. Keep awake, therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. So you you look at this and you say, okay, one's taken, one's left. That sounds very rapturesque. It sounds very much like what we were talking about. So what does that mean? Well, I think that if we take a look at it, what we're seeing is the calling out of all walks of life to be a true Christian with the emphasis on calling out of corrupted systems of Christianity. I think that's what Jesus is talking about. Now, you know, that's a whole lot of, uh, of, of interpretation with no backup. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, we're, we're kind of running out of time. Yes, we are. But let's take a look at how to come to that kind of a conclusion. First of all, uh, it, it talks about, you know, two women uh, will be in the field, or two will be in the field, one's taken. Two mm-hmm. will be grinding, one's taken. Uh, you know, so you've got different circumstances from which these are taken. Yes. Well, when you think about a field in terms of scriptural representation... Doesn't it mean the world? Well, let's take a look. Matthew 13, 37 to 38. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed are the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the children of the evil one. Okay. So, the field is the world. Jesus, I mean, you don't have to do any interpreting. Jesus tells us. But it's a symbol so when two are in the field, one's taken. So two are in the world, one is taken. And you say, okay, well, where are they taken to? We'll get to that in a second. Two are grinding, uh, grinding at the mill. That's the place where food is prepared. And when you think of food and you think of the scriptures and you think of Jesus' teaching, what you think of is, the, is, is scriptural, spiritual food. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay, so you've got, all, you've got different. So Jesus is saying that there are different places where individuals are and one's taken and one's left behind. What are they taken to? In Matthew, it doesn't really tell us. No. So you can kind of assume that, well, you know, it could be the rapture thing. But if you look at Luke, the same teaching, Luke adds a detail that is not present in Matthew, and it helps to put it all in perspective. One shall be taken, uh, one shall be left. Taken where? To the food of truth. Not to heaven. See, and how do we know that? Because Luke tells us 
his recording of Jesus' words, Luke 7, 17, 34, and then uh, through 34, 35, and then 37. I tell you, on that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. Then there will be two women grinding meal together. One will be taken and the other left. Very similar. It adds another another circumstance. Then they asked him, where, Lord? Okay, so the, the apostles ask the specific question. All right, where are they taken? And what does he say? He said to them, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. So he's, he doesn't say to heaven. No. And, you know, think about it. Jesus was very emphatic about showing them heaven when he, John chapter uh, 14, you know, or, and, and, and 15, you know, I, I go to prepare a place for you. In my father's house are many mansions. Mm-hmm. If it were not so, I would have told you. You know, I go to bring you there. But here, he's not talking about there. Well, the corpse, isn't that Jesus' ransom sacrifice? It is the, the, the cor- it, it's the spiritual food. So what he is saying is at the time of his return, there will be a calling out to find the true understanding of Scripture out of systems that were misrepresenting what the, what the Scriptures were all about. And he's saying one is taken. So it's not this dramatic plucking out like in the in the uh, in, in 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 Thessalonian scripture, it is just saying you're taken out from where you were. You're brought to a new place, a new time, a new circumstance of understanding in this life. So the so the Matthew twenty four scripture is not anything to do with rapture. It's not anything to do with after life. You know, after this life, it's all about in this life finding proper scriptural food. And yes, and those vultures would be true followers yes. feeding on the word of. Word of God. Yeah, you don't you don't think of true followers as vultures too no, often. But I, I prefer an eagle. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but nevertheless, what it comes down to is it gives us a sense that it's in this life. So when we look at the rapture, as we wrap this up, what we see is that the scripture that's used for the rapture is not stated in the context of some great revelation of some prophecy. It's stated as something that should be used to comfort one another. And yet for 1,800 years was never, ever, ever, ever mentioned. So it doesn't fit into its general context. Then when you put that scripture in the context of other scriptures of the return of Jesus, it doesn't fit with all of the, the, the theatrics that, that are talked about because the other prophecies help us understand this is a process, not a moment. So when we look at things like this, it's important to realize the scriptures do reveal themselves if we're patient enough to walk through the process of getting the context of what was meant through all of the prophecies. Folks, we hope you've enjoyed being with us today. It certainly has been an interesting ride. We uh, will be back again next week with another subject. But till then, the rapture. It is an interpretation that we respectfully disagree with because we believe the scriptures do not teach it. Until next week, for Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, it's not the rapture, it's being faithful unto death. Till next week, think about it.